Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. I'm Garth Haslam. In this interview, I interview nobody. I get interviewed. I'm interviewed by Howard Little. He's a uh, good friend now. I interviewed him already. He's a cameraman. He's been all over the world. Uh, being a part of a team that does interviews. Uh, he, I understand that part of one of his interviews was the Dalai Lama. Here's my warning. If you're family, if you're somebody who is expecting me to talk about sunshine and roses and puppy dogs... That's not what manalizing is all about, and that's not what I'm going to do. It gets down, it gets gritty, it gets honest, and I tell the truth as I see it. And if you are not comfortable with that, please don't listen. Put on your hard hat. Here we go. It was, it was a good childhood. We played kickball in the street. I was a DJ in high school. I found out that I love talking to a microphone. <laughs> okay. And uh, my mom decided one day that I uh, that talking to a microphone for a living wasn't going to pay enough. So she strongly encouraged me to go get an engineering degree. I uh, I had a brother-in-law who who had that civil engineering degree and it uh, seemed like it was doing him okay. He had a house that at the time was very nice. He had a piano and uh, that seemed like the life. And she decided and I accepted that that was going to be my life. So um, got away from talking to microphones and I, uh, I did the engineering. You know, during school I'd always gotten pretty good grades. But uh, you know, math wasn't that hard, so I figured I could do the engineering, you know, the math side. It was hard. It was hard in school. I wished that I could get C's. You know, I wished that I was in the middle of the class, but I was not. I was usually in, you know, towards the bottom 25%-ish. Um, caused me a lot of uh, heartache and heartbreak because I wasn't used to being there scholastically, but I finished. I got the degree, and then I went out into the world and got a very boring job as a civil engineer. So you're very passionate about that job, sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> My first job, um, one I, I had one job after another that I wasn't well-suited for. Uh, the first one, I was a planner for a small town in, uh, in well, it's over by Camas. It was Oakley Town. And they had, I don't know, a few hundred people there. And I was planning for way into the future. You know, it was uh, I was planning for 1995. <laughs> uh, actually, no, it would have been 2000 and something. I was planning for 20 years into the future. And at the time, it was like 1984, I guess. And I was like, what... I, I know how to run a calculator. I know how to do calculus. I know how to do algebra. I've uh, been through some accounting courses, but what makes me think that I am capable of planning for this town? The answer is really nothing. And didn't do very well at that. Next thing I did um, was building roads. I hired on at UDOT. And they said, okay, you're in charge of uh, this project over here. That was in Magna. They had a bunch of dirt they'd torn up, and I was responsible for making sure that the contractor did the job properly and then documenting everything. And I'm like, again, I know how to run a calculator. <laughs> <laughs> so you're under budget? Were they under budget? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that wasn't even part of my job. Oh, okay. Um I I was there to make sure that if the contractor did something wrong, that he knew it and that he knew what he was supposed to do to fix it. Mostly I was there. You've, you've heard the uh, the stereotype of the of the highway worker 
inspector. You know, one guy that shovels the um, the dirt and six guys that watch him. I was one of the six guys. Okay. Uh, not rewarding, not interesting, not something I wanted to do. But hey, I was an engineer. And um, so that was my career until I finally uh, put an end to that or had it put an end to for me um, and uh, started getting into home inspections. And I started that in 93, and that was much better for me. I got to wear Levi's and tennis shoes. I got to be outside. I didn't report to anybody who was a boss other than the wife. Um, so you're married at this time? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I married in 85. Okay. And, um, yeah, that was that was good for me. I uh, I liked not having a boss tell me that I was doing it wrong. And I liked the fact that I could make what used to be uh, a day's wages, well, a couple of days' wages, maybe three days' wages in a morning. That that never hurts my feelings. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I imagine not. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that transition was, um, I was at the state again, uh, this time doing drinking water, you know, drinking water plan reviews, uh, more accounting, stuff that, again, I wasn't well trained for and that I didn't enjoy. Um, and I started the, you know, I was, I was balancing the home inspection with this job, and I quickly came to the realization that even if I only did a couple of inspections per week, I was making as much or more than I was being paid for the whole week of work. Uh, so the, the, I used up all of my vacation, uh, all of my leave, and there came a time where I had to choose, and it was not a difficult choice. So I worked up something with Pleasant Grove City, where I was their city engineer, uh, with Rural Water Association, and now I was making more in 25 hours per week than I had been making in 40. It was terrifying for me, though because I had contracts for one year. And I would wake up pretty much every morning thinking, after a year, i got to go find a job again. And that just terrified me. I, the last thing I ever wanted to do was go get a job again. I, not well suited for a job. Kind of, kind of need to be my own boss. So, um... I worked, uh, I worked hard. I got my home inspection business going. And at the time, I had a lot of financial demands because, uh, because now I'm divorced. Well, no, that, I guess that actually came a little later. But there, there did come a time where I was, uh, was divorced, and now I had to basically pay for two families. And I figured that if I did four inspections per week, and that seemed like so much, um, but I figured if I did four per week, then I could pay my own bills and pay my ex-wife's bills and, and it'd be okay. Uh, that has taken me to, you know, fast forward now 30 years from where I, uh, started home inspections. Uh, and now I'm just tired of home inspections. It's been very good for me. It's been good to me in every way, but been there, done that. And it earns a living. It earns a nickel. I've learned some things. I've podcasted about some things, home inspection. But it's just a thing. It's just a way to earn money. There's, there's, got, there's more. Mm-hmm. And so I was hunting for whatever more is. You know, We all want to know what our purpose is. And so that gets us to today, I'm doing mantalizing. This is my purpose. It's very comforting for me to know t- that what my purpose is, that this is it, and that I'm moving forward on it. When you talk about your purpose, how does that, how does that make you, I don't want to say how does it make you feel, but how does that, how does that, What's the difference between that and what you're doing before, emotionally? Emotionally, it's the difference between the cup being 
full and running over and the cup being empty dry. Um, earning a living is great, but if all you're doing is just paying your bills, according to my brain, you know, according to how I'm programmed, if all you're doing is just paying your bills, you're not accomplishing anything. You're just living. You're existing. You're not being meaningful, you're not uh, filling your purpose, you're not being valuable, you're not using the God, the gifts that, gifts that God's given you. I go back to the parable of the talents, mm-hmm. It, and I have to say I'm pushed, pushed hard to identify my talents and, and develop them and use them and make sure the, the world is benefited by them. <clears throat> so you said your mother was the one who said, you know, you got to go find something you make a real living at. Uh-huh. You know? Uh, by the way, some DJs make pretty good money. Some do. <laughs> some of them do. <laughs> On the radio, the radio guys do. They do pretty good. Um, uh, why your mother, not your dad? Generally, it's the dad who comes. Who comes. Your mothers have a tendency to say, go fulfill your dreams. Uh-huh. But dads are like, get a real job, you know? <laughs> make sure you can take care of your family. Pay your taxes. That's the dad, what dad normally does. How come it's your mother? I remember, this is my best example of that. I remember once I uh, was working at uh, K96. Okay. Uh, 96.1. They were out of, um, I think they still are out of Provo. They were mm-hmm. a major player. But I got the Sunday morning 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. <laughs> shift. Okay. And I was making... Well, you were a rookie. You were a rookie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was making, I don't even remember, whatever you made back in the uh, late 70s for DJing. It was probably $2 an hour. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe three. But so two weeks go by. I've worked eight hours at less taxes. And I get the check in the mail, and it was for about 20 bucks. And my mom goes, yeah, let's see that. That's exciting. And um, I don't think she said that's exciting. She said, let's see that. And I yanked it away from her because I knew it'd be, it was like 17 bucks. And I knew she would say, well, that's nothing. Why are you doing this? Um, I think for her, it was, I want you to be able to feed your family. She did give me... Uh, many a speech as I was growing up on, you've got to be able to pay the bills. You've got to get a job where, you know, your house payment's going to be this, your utilities, you got a car payment, you got insurance. You got to make sure you get a job where you can pay. I think she was speaking out of her own reality um, because my dad was a clerk. Uh, he was a, he started as a clerk at Geneva Steel and he finished as a clerk at Geneva Steel. 20 some odd years later, very much a nerd. Uh, he stayed out of the way. Uh, my mom was dominant, uh, in the family. He came home and if she needed him to be the executioner, he took that role. Other than that, we didn't see him much. He'd go into his office and stay there. We, uh, I never sat down to watch TV with them. I never did I, I, he never threw me a football or a baseball once. Did you ever ask? Wow. No, thought never occurred to me. So that um, is- He did. I do remember on a couple of occasions he instructed my brother to throw footballs to me. Uh, my brother at the time was a backup QB in high school, and um, he thought that I needed to be footballed. So, well, you got the physique for it. Well, I do now. I oh. <laughs> in high school I weighed like one fifty five, dripping oh, wet. Okay. And in junior high, there was actually a picture that was taken where you could count my ribs in the picture. Uh, I was that skinny. Oh. And that was my own fault. I guess everything, uh, as long as I take credit for everything, I, you know, I don't want to be the guy that blames any, everybody, but here's why that was my own fault. I, he, he was a clerk. My mom became a school teacher later, but there was no money. So she gave me money for lunch and I'm like, this is the only money that comes to me. So it was 40 cents a day. 
And so I would go buy a five-cent milk and drink that, and that was lunch, and keep 35 cents, put it in my pocket. And that made me skinny, but at least I had some money. But, you know, if you can count my ribs in a picture where I was not the only person being focused on, I was skinny. What, how did you feel about your dad? When you think about how did you feel then, uh, as opposed to how you feel now about your, your dad and... And uh, so there was a number of times that I got beat that I knew that it uh, was either unjustifiable or the level of punishment was way beyond the um, punishment didn't fit the crime. Right. Okay. And I swore up and down. I would not be like him. Um, and that's. You know, that was those moments, the rest of the time when he just wasn't there, he wasn't there. He just wasn't a, a thing. He wasn't a part, and it wasn't a part that I wanted to be around. Uh, he tried on a couple of times to uh, to build something. Uh, he'd ask me to, not ask, he would inform me that I was going with him uh, to little construction projects that he'd taken on, and... Uh, I think that was his effort to try and do something, but, you know, of, of course, being a, uh, I don't know, it was probably 10 to 14, um, I didn't know, you know, these little construction projects, maybe he was forming a porch or doing some sort of contracting, and he would have me be the, um, you know, do the things that a 10-year-old can do, which is pretty much nothing. And, um, we didn't talk. I didn't know that he could talk. He'd, he'd tell me what he needed me to do and I'd do it to the best of my ability and I'd stand there the rest of the time and then we'd go home. So how do you feel about your dad? I'm going to say the love word, was is that even part of your existence toward him and, and a reciprocation from him? Did you ever feel like he loved you? Oh, wow. That's another good question. Uh, that's never or come we, up. Or were you just a responsibility for him? Uh, yeah, definitely not the love. You know, when he was 90 and I knew he was dying and I knew that I didn't want to feel guilty about having him die and me wish that I could be around him and get to know whatever, you know, that's when I actually talked to him. Uh, I'd take him out to A&W because it was close and he'd spit on my food because he did, he was missing his teeth. Oh, so he didn't do it on purpose at least. <laughs> okay. Um, but he, at that point in time, he really just wanted to, uh, in his words, I want to go join my wife. You know, she'd been gone for a while. She'd been dead. And, mm -hmm. uh, that's really all he wanted to talk about. It's what he wanted to do. So I did the A and W runs out of duty. I uh, at that point I didn't dislike him. He was he was just a person, and um, and I could see that he had his own issues. But I wow, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I guess I didn't care about enough about him enough to dislike him. So apathy, yeah. it created apathy. Yeah. Okay. How does that make you feel now? Uh, if you do some introspection into what you what you just said, what does that do for you now? Yeah, I um you know, being honest, I I feel my first thought is I feel like that's a sane reaction. Uh that that it would have been difficult for the 10-year-old me to go to him and say, hey, let's have a relationship. Oh, let's yeah, play, of course. Yeah. Let's play cards. Let's play with the dog. Let's play football. Um, wasn't him. He just he just didn't do that. He wasn't around to do that. Um, so it sounded like there's actually a two-way apathetic relationship when you really think about it. And maybe that's where you got it from. Yeah, and in his defense, he learned that honestly. Um, as he was growing up, he, there wasn't enough room in the house slash cabin for him to be in. And this is in Vernal where it gets like negative 20 oh, yeah. and he would sleep out in a tent because there just wasn't a space for him. He says that his dad didn't notice him until he was old enough to work 
Um, so he comes, like I say, he comes by it honestly. Okay. Can't blame him. Um, it's what he learned. Yes, but you learned the same thing. You learned that same thing. You changed. I mean, you're not you're not your dad. Uh huh. I tried. I actually kind of went overboard the other way. Okay, tell me about that. Um, so I have three girls of my own. First marriage. I'm I'm gonna not talk about the second marriage yet. Uh, my second wife has two boys, and so we went uh, from three to five. But with my girls, as I was doing the jobs, which were very much unfulfilling, of course, uh, I decided that my purpose at that point was to raise them and have them be successful. And uh, I didn't matter. Um, but if they got into adulthood successfully, that was my win. That was my purpose. That was my meaning. And so I did everything I could to get them there. Uh, that worked to my detriment. In what way? Because my wife at the time could see that I would give and yield anything for them, that I would take anything for them. So she realized that she could do anything she wanted to to me. She told me once and uh, that, that she had turned me into her dad in her mind. She hated her dad. Okay, that's not good. Um, and so in order to punish her dad, she would punish me. And she knew that she could because she knew that I was so dedicated to my girls that I would not um, do anything that affected them negatively. You're telling me that what I get out of that is that she was jealous of the relationship you had with your daughters. I hadn't considered that. So, when you got divorced, uh -huh. what what changed with your relationship with your daughters? So, I, uh, I met Julie, uh, still married. I was used to my, uh, my ex telling me, you're hopeless, you're a nerd, you can't accomplish, you're not, you're less than, you're not enough, you can't, you won't, you're, you know. Is that because of the jobs you were taking at the time? Uh, Partly, or, or was it just all something else? I think she needed to be, me to be less than so she could be more than me. Uh, she would agree with anyone who disagreed with me on any subject, even if she'd told me five minutes before that she had a different opinion. Okay. Um, so then I met Julie, who goes, uh, you know, hey, you're a good guy. You're capable. You're interesting. You can, you can do X, Y, and Z. And no, you're, you're really not the nerd that you say you are. And I had believed my first wife, because who are you going to believe? I mean, you're married to her. She knows you best. If she says X, then you're X. Um, and then here comes somebody else who says, no, that's not true. And I'm like, who am I? Who do I believe? Right. And then it becomes, do I want to believe that I'm a nerd who's less than a geek, a dork, a control freak, a big fat meanie, uh, whatever? Or do I want to believe that I have potential and that I'm a good guy and that I can? And um, you know which way I picked. Right. So you instigated the divorce. I Yeah. I, I went down the road uh, with Julie. I could not walk away from that. I could not walk away from a person who saw something in me. And okay. so, you're, so you're looking to look like you had your wife. My my wife was married to another guy, and it sounds like that they had that same relationship, only reversed. You and your first wife, and my wife, and her first husband, mm -hmm. where he was constantly telling her that she was less than, mm -hmm. less than, and. Uh, and the verbally abusing never hit her once but was v verbally abusing constantly mm -hmm. sounds like that's what you were under yeah there was there was plenty of that and it, it's funny with her daddy issues doesn't matter how much she ground my head into the dirt it was just never enough for her she she never got her fill of humiliating me 
Uh, that would have been nice if, if there was a day when, when that occurred, but it didn't. So, um, yeah, and now I go against, uh, what do they call it in Star Trek? The, uh, the first priority or the directive? Prime directive. Prime directive. Yeah. Prime directive is don't do anything that affects your daughters negatively. And How old are they at this point? They are 13, 11, and 9. Ooh, ooh, yeah. And like, that's, a sticky, that's a sticky wick you're looking at there. <laughs> <laughs> and the second prime directive is I've seen enough of this tunnel that I can't stay in this tunnel. So the way I justified it to myself, and I, I still believe it to be true, is that if I stay in this tunnel, my girls are going to know nothing other than uh, men are bad. Treat your husband poorly. Uh, what's the word? Depreciate him. Ignore him. Uh, make less of him. That is going to be the world that they know. And I was like, if I do not change this, if I do not let them know that that is not okay, then that's who they're going to be, and Prime Directive will be lost. Okay, did any of them, especially your oldest daughter, kind of see what was going on? Did they ever acknowledge that? Uh, at the time? Or did you just become the meanie? Oh, I was the meanie. It's taken okay. many years. Okay. And um, I was told during the divorce uh, that you don't make your kids part of the war. You know, the, the divorce is between husband and wife, and the kids get to be not part of the war. So uh, I did that. But, yeah, I was, I was the big meanie for, for many years. And I think, you know, as time goes by, it's been 20 years now, they can see who I am, especially who I am now. Uh, they don't see me angry ever uh, because, because I'm married to a woman that calms me and feeds me and loves me and reassures me. And it's a very good life. I'm, I know who I am. I'm settled with it. I like it. And so they don't see the meanie that uh, I was portrayed by the to be by the ex. So I think they get it. But, you know, the last thing I'm going to do is tell them anything. Right, about the relationship. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay, so you have two two major, maybe even three. Well, you got, I'm going to put your parents as one and then your ex-wife as another. Uh -huh. Two major influences in your life that weren't helping, that weren't guiding you, it seems like, the way you... Helping you fulfill the measure of your creation. That's why I like to put it. Uh -huh. Help you fulfill the measure of your creation. God put you here on this earth for a purpose. And are you going to fulfill that? Uh, and it looks like they were roadblocks to that for you. They were roadblocks for you to be able to fulfill the measure of your creation. And yet it looks like now you're heading toward that, if not got three feet in, into it already. <laughs> three feet. Yeah. Right, I, well, three feet is just what I came up with. <laughs> I love three feet. I'm going to steal that one. Okay. Uh, so, yes. So that's kind of an enlightening moment for you when you kind of realize that that uh, you can break away. And, and, and do you think you could have done it without the love of the good woman you have now? Not a chance. You wouldn't have done it on your own. No, because I can hear my ex-wife right now saying, you know, I, I, I hear what you are saying you want to do, but you're not, you'll never succeed at that. You, you won't do that. You don't know how to do that. You've never done that before. Just stay to your day job and bring home a paycheck. I wonder how many men out there are getting that right now. They're working in a job, not mm. fulfilling their measure of their creation. Do you think, did you ever, and, okay, I'm going to this. And all the time that you were doing those jobs that weren't fulfilling you, uh -huh. do you think that the people working around you were feeling the exact same thing? Or do you think some of them, that was their, their, that was their excitement in life? That was what they really felt <laughs> fulfilled them, doing those jobs. The people in the engineering world, none of it is exciting. None of it causes a rush. You know, if you build a road, it takes a number of months, and the best thing that happens is they lay the pavement and you go, I finished that. 
that's not much of a rush. Yeah. Um, or, you know, and I didn't ever build a structure. I guess I was involved in, um, in building highway bridges. And that's a lot of pile driving. It's a lot of dirt moving. Uh, sometimes the big moment, the really cool big day is when they pour concrete for, um, for crossing the, uh, the, the two ends of the bridge. You know, there's, there's not a lot of adrenaline there. So they call that, uh, you know, I heard that from a lot of people. They call that the J-O-B. <laughs> J-O-B job? <laughs> Is there another acronym I don't know about? <laughs> okay. Uh, and, you know, and it's just what you do uh, between eight and five so that you can fulfill your, your responsibilities. So to ask, answer your question, yeah, I think most of us guys, I'm going to say high 90s percent, um, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't do what we're doing if we had any other option, you know, the, the, the boss sucks, the coworker sometimes sucks, the job sucks. Um, but you got to do it because you're the man and you got to make the money. Okay. What I find, what I see in my own, uh, small life here is jobs. Well, I've had jobs like that too. And I found my passion like you did with your daughters. Mm-hmm. But I had encouragement in those jobs from other people. I think people who are in those jobs find passion in other things other than their job that fulfill them. Right. And so that, that this is what works, but I have this outside of my job that fulfills me. Right. And it didn't sound like you were getting that outside because you weren't getting that encouragement. You were just getting beaten down in, betu- in between job and and yeah, the closest thing I had to something that fulfilled me was my daughters. Okay. You know, raising them, uh, playing games with them, teaching them when I could, loving them, watching TV with them. That was, that was my thing. Okay. Uh, I didn't feel like I had license to go take a karate class or a I, I'm taking voice lessons now, but I didn't even think about doing that back then. Uh, to to walk out of the house when I could be near my daughters just wasn't an option. Do you think counseling would have helped you? Absolutely. Um, because, and this is the reason why all of that is all my fault. Because if I would ever just once stood up and said, no. This is not going to happen. I am going to be a relevant part of of the family. I'm going to be respected by you. Uh, I have principles that I would like reflected in the family. I'd like to do family night. I'd like to to pray together. I would like, um, you know, and all those things I would have been abused for. Okay. Um. But if I would have stood up and said, no, this is not how I want things, and it's important to me, and if it doesn't happen, then I've got a choice to make. So you can have what you say you want, or you can take a risk on not having me around. I never said that. I didn't give her that choice, and that is why that it's my fault. Okay. I can see where that... That would have, do you think that you were like you were because of the relationship you had with your dad? Not standing up to your dad? And did you ever stand up to your dad, ever? Oh, not a chance. I would, have, I would have been killed. Okay. Was he a big guy? <laughs> bigger than me. <laughs> Everybody was bigger than you. <laughs> you couldn't see his ribs. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, do you think you didn't stand up to your dad or... Or you didn't stand up for what you really wanted to do coming out of high school? Do you think that had an influence in why you didn't stand up to your wife? Did you think she was right? Of course I did. Okay. Yeah. You know, she, like I say, she knew me. She was around me as much as anyone. And if she said I was X, then I was X. Who's going to argue? Yeah, your soul. <laughs> so you finally, I guess, you're, you're the wife you have now, Julie. Uh-huh. Uh, is she the one that, that finally convinced you that that... That was all a lie, or were you? Yes. Or were you that person? Were you that person? And then Julie changed you. So that is that. So you see the difference there. Uh-huh. 
you were the, you really were what she said, but Julie turned you into the person you are now. Or, or were you always that person, just not being acknowledged for it? There, ooh, boy, those are deep questions. Um, there's a song by Boston called A Man I'll Never Be. Okay. And they're talking about how they will never be the man that she sees. And you could tell in the song they're about to break up with her because they would like to be who she sees, but they can't. Only in Julie's case, I actually was so intrigued by what she saw. I didn't think I was that man, but I was so intrigued that I could not pull away from that. You know, how do you, how do you choose um, commitments over hope? You know, which one of those are you going to choose? So, Always hope. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you become diminished. Yeah. So uh, ask your question again, because that's such a good question. I want to make sure I get it answered. Okay. The question is, were you that person your first wife was telling you you were? Uh, or were you always the person that your second wife said you were? You just didn't acknowledge it or didn't didn't bring it out. It was like you were so crushed by it that you, you couldn't like acknowledge who you really were inside. I think the answer is is both. When I was around my first wife, I was less than. Okay. Uh, I was incapable. I got fired a lot. Uh, she had reason to believe I was less than. Um, okay. But uh, around Julie, now I'm a very different person. I'm confident. I know who I am. I succeed at business. I make so much more than I ever thought I would make. Um, she saw a man and she created that man. Uh, was it in me? Yes, perhaps, but it was buried deep. She saw it. She built it. She created it. I am who I am now because of Julie. Okay. Okay. Now this hypothetical, you said that and you believe that and I believe you, uh -huh. but I'm going to just twist it just okay. a little bit. Good. What if you hadn't met Julie, but you still divorced your wife? What do you think? What I know that's a hypothetical, and we don't really deal in hypotheticals that much. Oh, but, I, we but live I'm, and die. I live and die on hypotheticals. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I'm I'm looking at that person that you had buried deep, and uh, if you'd have just gotten the divorce, would it would it pushed you even deeper, or do you think you would have like pulled yourself out without Julie? Maybe I'm going to go back even a little further, and uh, if it's and it's not necessarily for me immediately divorce or not divorce. It's it's live with the condition that I have or make it clear that I no longer accept those conditions and things will change. And I don't have to enforce it through sheer force, but I always have the ability to leave the marriage. And actually, I think my ex-wife, though she tried to project being in power, in control, do what I tell you. I think she was probably psychologically weak enough, which is why she did it, that if I would have stood up and said, no, uh, this is going to be how things are changing, and if not, then I'm gone. <laughs> and I accepted that. We never had a lot of money because there, there was one income and five people. Yeah, that's, that, and that's hard to... To like, yeah, venture out, to uh -huh. venture out into new frontiers. It's hard to leave. Okay, I know we're not making a lot of money, but we are surviving. Uh -huh. What happens if I try to break out and fulfill a dream, you know, and it fails? You know, we starve. We yeah. lose our house. We lose our car. Are th those are all part of being that that man with that responsibility. Yes. Did you feel that? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, what I was making, especially when I was at the state, you'd get a paycheck every two weeks, which means there's 26 paychecks per year, mm -hmm. which means that there's two months where you get three paychecks. And so we'd actually rely on that. And it came to the point where the third paycheck just brought us back to zero. Wow. 
And so there is no room for even stubbing my toe. Uh, yeah, you can't, you can't reach out and start new adventures when you're in that place. Yeah, that's, that's hard. That's hard to, knowing that you're in a job you don't really like, but you know you got to have it to, to pay for my family. Yeah. And so you start taking two and three jobs. <laughs> well, and that's what motivated me to start the home inspections. Right. Because um, I realized there needed to be more money. Okay. And that was you, you didn't ever say, go on, get a job, woman. <laughs> Come on, you're capable. You know, that would have required that I actually had a spine. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I did not. Um, well, that's hard to admit. Oh, yeah, I've, uh, I've worked very hard on having a spine, even with my current marriage. You know, when, for example, when uh, she's off to the prepaid legal thing and I'm, you know, trying to... Uh, manage kids that are swinging from the chandeliers and then being told that I can't tell them what to do. Yeah. Um, hey, go live with their dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it's taken me a long time to learn how to have a spine. And even yeah. now, I think if she didn't allow me to have a spine, I wouldn't have one. <laughs> I think we've married the same person. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Uh, I guess I don't know. Is this time to wrap up? I don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's about time. We've, we're going on a little over an hour now. Okay. Um, I want you to sum up your emotional state from just really quickly. From there's three stages I see in your life. Uh -huh. Okay. You have your childhood, your first marriage, and your third marriage. Right. Okay. I'd like to like quickly in a few words as you can sum up maybe just even a word. A word that describes your first part of life, you know, with your parents and sibs, your your life with your first wife, and your life with your wife you have now, and the life, the life you have now. Maybe it's that life, this life, and that life. Not necessarily the people, but that life emotionally or uh, introspectively. I don't know. You could, what words would you put to those three phases of your life? Hmm. Uh, the word that comes uh, first for my childhood is neutral. I, um, I didn't feel, I mean, I didn't get beat like a drunken dad would beat you. I just got beat when somebody decided I should be beat. Mm. Um, I wasn't told, uh, by my parents that I was less than, um, I definitely didn't build any close relationships with any of my brothers and sisters. I was fairly close with my younger sister for a while. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to use a word like neutral or unremarkable or, you know, I, just, oh, I like the word you said by dad, apathetic. Yeah. The whole life seemed to be apathetic. Didn't care. It wasn't a. Didn't seem like he had a lot of care. Uh huh. Going or giving, getting care and giving. Well, maybe between your sister, you got some care going. But my mom uh, had one moment when I was doing the divorce. She gave me a blanket, a sunflower blanket. Uh, and that sunflower blanket meant I love you. Okay. Now it's me that's crying. Yeah. Usually I do this to other people. Um, but that blanket means... Uh, I've got to compose myself. You're okay. It means a million dollars to me. Um, the second part, uh, the first marriage, you know, I actually had a moment. I'd had multiple dreams where I dreamed... Oh my gosh, I'm married to this woman. I don't want this. I didn't want this. It's dark. I can't. How long do I have to be married to this woman? And that uh, was so deep to me that it actually um, guided me away from a couple of women. You know, a couple that I thought would be 
would be somebody that I wanted to get closer to. I stopped because of that dream. And then on my honeymoon, I had that moment sitting at a table in Hebrew where it was like, oh, that's the woman that is the reason for your dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I don't know if I made this up in my brain, but it feels like at that point in time, the answer was 18 years. And I did get uh, divorced after 20, I believe. Is that right? No. 93 to 2001. 18 years. Yeah, you're the mathematician. I would have not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I had to put up with that uh, for 18 years. And uh, the word for that, I mean, there was a lot of good days because I loved my girls. I would go in at night and I'd tell them a story and they would tell me they loved me and those were good times. Sounds like the good word, would that be conflictive? Mm. It's conflicted? Good word. Uh, conflicted with the, yeah, the, the love for the daughters and the abuse from the yeah, spouse? Yeah, that's, that's a fair statement. Uh, towards the end, it did feel more like a... Um, a cave, a dark cave. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, now, Julie, that's just sunshine. Uh, she is the queen of sun, sand, surf, sea, and sunshine. Uh, and just happiness, joy. And um, she's a great cheerleader. She knows how to love. I, I had, after I, got, after I married her, there was a lady who... Um, who I think she probably had a thing for me and, and she knew that Julie didn't cook and she, yeah. okay. and she knew that Julie was off to prepaid legal conventions. One of those strength things, not hers. Those cooking things, not her strength. Those... <laughs> <laughs> and she knew that Julie was gone and she knew I didn't like it. She knew I was left to be a parent but not be a parent for some difficult children. And she goes, why did you marry her? And I thought about it for a second and I said, because she loves me. And uh, that is still very much why. That woman knows how to love. She sees a man that I love that vision, and I love becoming that. She's, she's created a very happy and contented and fulfilled uh, man who is chasing his vision, his purpose. I, I have a perfect life right now. And uh, much of that is... Because of Julie. Great. She asked me if we were going to stay married after this interview. I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it almost seemed to reinforce it on your side. You, you've reinforced so much. And I would think uh, that little little thing that comes into my head. Okay, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm going to say this. Go for it. <laughs> like if she got hit by a bus, what would happen to you? Oh, I'd melt. And that's okay. happened because in times when she's been gone, for example, um, she knew Travis Alexander and she would go to those uh, trials in Arizona for a week at a time. And I just went into zombie mode. Yeah, I know, but okay, this is what I'm going to say to you. If she got hit by a bus and you went to that place, is that what she'd want you to be? Is no. that what she'd want you to be? No. Would you acknowledge that and pull yourself out, you think, and be the man she wants you to be and knows you to be? Um, I believe that I'm man enough now to move forward. She may have created that in me as well. Okay. But yeah, back in the day, and I'm going to say up until maybe a year or so ago, yeah, when she's gone, I melt. Okay. But I think, and I'm not sure. But I believe that if she got hit by a bus, I'd move forward. It'd take some time, I'll bet. But I bet you'd that you're smart enough to realize that that's what she'd want you to do. Right. It might be hard to break through that, but through the sorrow and grief. But yeah, yeah, I think I would realize that uh, that melting on the floor for days and weeks on end doesn't accomplish anything and that that doesn't serve anybody and it sucks and 
I had to get up and do stuff. Good. Good to hear that. Good to hear that she's she's inspired you enough to keep going. Right. But what do you see in your future of who you are and and the progression you want to make? So I, I don't mind uh, being vulnerable enough to confess my weaknesses, and one of them is that my significance. I need to be standing on the star. Jay Leno, when he goes out, he stands on the star, he delivers his speech, and he he's Jay Leno. Mm-hmm. I want to stand on the star. I've been told a thousand times, and I have a thousand proofs, that I am really good at helping other people find their greatness and standing on their own star, and inside my head it's like, damn it, I want to stand on my own star. Okay. Um, I'm not there. But I do need to know that I'm filling my purpose. And that's what manalyzing is. And as long as I can um, you know, build this and market it the way I'm planning to market it, and uh, we're going to get there. We're going to change some lives. We're going to help men know that they are not alone. Uh, that the cave that they have put themselves in is similar to the caves that the rest of us put ourselves in, that there's hope, that there's an answer, that you don't just suck it up and go quietly into the basement. Um, We'll save some lives, we'll save some marriages, we'll make a lot of lives better. We'll cause some men that uh, are not like me, who rather than do the divorce or the porn or the girlfriends or the whatever, they go and say no. They go to the wife and say, this is not working for me. And then there's a chance for things to work. And so I think I'm going to change the world. And if I can do that, that qualifies as me standing on a star. Then I made a difference. One podcast at a time. One podcast at a time. (laughs) Well, good. Congratulations. I, I look forward to it. See your, to your achievements. I really look forward to seeing your achievements. So do I. <laughs> hey, thank you for listening to this Manalyzing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalyzing. Manalyzing Manalyzing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalyzing.com.